0: Uh, hey anybody!
1: Hey anybody! Hey anybody!
0: <laughs> hey anybody! Uh, if
1: anybody would like to sponsor,
0: us. <laughs> <laughs> our DMs are open. <laughs> uh, Just slide on in. Oh my, do oh, that's slide slide on in like a <laughs> like a ship from Hitchhiker's Guide. Just huh. <laughs> the ship doesn't make that sound. The doors make that sound, but
2: yeah. But the doors doors are part of the show. The doors.
0: Oh, okay. I think I'm getting it. It's a bit of a work, a bit of a stretch, maybe. But have you seen the size of me? Of course it's a stretch. (laughs) 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 Uh,
3: Hello,
0: I must be (laughs) going. For listeners who did not join us for just the last episode and uh, heard Patrick's height, he is six foot nine. He does stretch. I do stretch. Do you stretch? boy. No, I don't really stretch. <laughs> you just lied to our studio audience. Damn. There, there's no studio st- audience? <laughs> there's no audience in the studio.
1: We kicked out the dogs. We there did. is no studio audience.
0: Uh, anyway, hi, hi, hello. Hello. Uh, welcome to Trials of the Apocalypse. It's a show where we play some games. We tell some stories. Uh, and eventually, we're going to get to that. But this is our setup episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about the game The Between. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. Uh, First, I want to introduce our wonderful cast. Oh, I guess I should introduce myself real quick. Um, I'm David. I'm the host of this podcast. Was that your name? Uh, I've been told that by many... I've been told that by enough people that I've started to believe it. (laughs) Uh, And I've been passing it on to others so that they might believe it too. Uh. But yeah, I I generally uh, host things, I run the games uh predominantly and uh I'm really excited to do this. Uh today we're we're going to be playing The Between, but specifically we're going to be uh setting up for uh the Ghosts of El Paso expansion for The Between, uh which gives you an entirely new setting, some mysteries, uh a new mastermind threat, lots of fun stuff. And it's a a western, a wild west action. Some ghosts in the wild west. Mastermind was the one with Will Ferrell, right? Uh, no, that was Wild West with Will Smith. That would be Will Smith. Yeah, I. You said Will, and my brain, since I just said the word like West, was like, oh, Will Smith. (laughs) Ferrell
2: doesn't exist. He is.
1: He's (laughs) Ferrell.
2: Wait. I thought, I thought Mastermind was a song by Mindless Self-Indulgence. Oh.
0: Well, if it's Mindless Self-Indulgent, then it isn't a
2: Mastermind, is it?
1: I can count on one hand the number of times I've heard anybody else mention Mindless Self-Indulgence.
2: <laughs> Listen, it's a well-beloved, very strange group, and I love them to bits.
0: Anyway, we're going to be in the Wild West, so a.k.a. all of this totally unrelated, uh, and I had a question as we introduce ourselves here for our episode today. Um, what are some of your favorite Western tropes or like types of scenes that appear in that genre? Um, and uh, so, yeah, introduce yourself and and that little fact that the little facet uh, and whoever wants to go first. And by that, I mean, uh, let's start with Pat and then swing around the room. So, Pat, uh, what? The, oh, sorry. Who are you? What do you got?
2: Yeah, Pat, what's your favorite thing about Westerns? You I mean, I us. could start. You gotta tell us. Pat, you gotta tell us.
0: Some call me Space Cowboy. Oh. My. But you can call me Pat or Patty if you're nasty. Or since it's a Western, Sheriff Patty if you're nasty. <laughs> uh, my favorite tropes from Western movies. Uh, I always love a good spittoon spit. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a fun Foley gag, and I'm a big fan of it. All right, uh, next.
1: I'm Emma. I don't have any fancy nickname shit. I'm just <laughs> Emma. Um, favorite Western trope? Or
0: type, or, or type of scene, or just your favorite little nugget. The Splatoon stuff is actually on my list, Pat. Just for an aesthetic piece, uh, it's definitely quintessential.
1: It's a classic, and like it's. It's sort of over the top and ridiculous, but I and I would even say maybe a little overused at this point, but there's something real good and dramatic about an outsider stepping into the local saloon, making mm. a board creak and the piano stops playing and all <laughs> tur- heads turn, man, That's good. they good. casually walk up to the bar and order a milk.
0: Yes. All right. Swinging around next. Uh You can't tell what my order is. Dave is. Next.
2: Uh, all right. <laughs> hey i'm dave and i think i've actually been thinking about this for for at least 20 seconds and i have to say my favorite <laughs> trope is the preemptive measurements by the undertaker when our hero is squaring off against the BBEG. oh
0: that is a good one that's it's
2: good so one. good it's, it's like what are you doing you're going to need this soon for some reason they never have a southern <laughs> accent they are they're always very melodramatic damn near romanian oh i love that that's great that's detail great.
4: And uh, I'm Gwen. My favorite trope has got to be the hidden knives, usually in bodices, you know, when like someone is, is being detained or held hostage and suddenly out of nowhere, there's there's weaponry <laughs> knives.
1: Yeah, small,
4: <laughs> small guns, derringers
1: hidden in the um, fuck. What's it called? The thing that goes around the the thigh, the like. Garter. Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. The
2: Garter knives is the name of my burlesque metal band. There you go. If you don't have knives in your bodice, you're wearing the wrong
0: types of bodices, you know? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, these are the lovely folks who will be joining us for this game. Uh, let's talk real quick about what we'll be playing and then we'll get into kind of the, the how's and what's of what that's going to be like. And then we'll talk about all their fun characters they're bringing to this setting, which will be interesting. Actually, I have held myself back from reading over the playbooks uh, for this game, Um, other than like their sort of top level descriptions, because I want to I want to experience it for the first time as the players go through them today. So, yes, Emma,
1: I want to go last.
0: Okay, that's fine. Well, we're not there yet. I know (laughs) we've got a ways to ground a couple. But
1: just for the record, when we get there. okay. I want to go last, just like I always do.
0: It's on the record. So
1: that's a fun hidden joke for later.
0: (laughs) I'm not sure what it means. Oh, you'll (laughs) see. You'll all see. Okay. well, normally, uh, normally The Between is a game about monster hunters in Victorian London, uh, inspired by things like Penny Dreadful, British horror classics, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, the base game is awesome. Uh, I've actually had the pleasure of playing in uh, nearly a full campaign of it with Jason Cordova, who's uh, the the author of the game uh, and also uh, runs the gauntlet, uh, which is also the publisher for the game. Um, but we threw that out and we're going to play this instead. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just playing a different setting module for it. Uh, that's actually one of the cool things. Uh, Ghost of El Paso. Uh, it, it's like any sort of setting expansion for a game. Uh, you need the base game because it uses all of the base game's rules. Uh, it just recontextualizes them a little bit. Ghost of El Paso is an old West American version. And I'm actually just going to read the explainer from the book here because it does a really good job. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to like write up my own concise version because it's already pretty so summary. So here it is, uh, the Between Ghosts of El Paso. Uh, it is a tabletop role-playing game about a group of ghost hunters, the Vigilance Committee, in the township of El Paso, Texas, in the late 19th century after the war but before the First Railroad came through. The Vigilance Committee is dealing with the effects of the Wounded Night, a seasonal phenomenon in El Paso that takes place in the fall every six years, during which time the veil between the land of the living and the land of the dead is thinned. The hunters learn about various ghostly threats around El Paso and conduct investigations in order to neutralize them. Over time, they become aware of the plans of a criminal mastermind who is pulling the strings behind the scenes. The hunters will eventually be forced to confront this mastermind in order to save their community. Uh, That's a bit that's the same as in the between. There's a mastermind threat that is part of the campaign uh, play of the game. That will be introduced probably through scenes when we go to play it. But we're going to essentially start a fresh game with you all. So you're not going to get all the way to the mastermind mystery. That would be well into a campaign of this game. Uh, but the Between Ghosts of El Paso is inspired by Western films and TV shows such as Deadwood, uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Quick and the Dead, Unforgiven. Uh, it also takes inspiration from Texas folklore and urban legends, as well as music of Johnny Cash and other artists, which we have. I don't know if it'll make. Are we going to have ghost riders in the sky?
2: God, I hope so. That would be sweet. Yippee-i-oh.
0: yippee i -i Ghost riders in the sky. Uh, And the game's mechanics, uh, as we were playing it on this podcast, are based on Apocalypse World, Brindlewood Bay, and The Between, of course. Uh, So this is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Uh, you don't need to know anything about those games before we play. That is a funny line to have there, considering they had the between in the previous list, because it does say you need a copy of the between to play this game. <laughs> you don't know anything about it. You just need the copy. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's the concept for the game. The aim of the characters in the story is to keep El Paso safe uh, by investigating ghostly threats and learning how to stop them. Uh, The aim for players is to learn more about those characters' mysterious pasts, as well as paint a vivid picture of El Paso, its surroundings, a responsibility we all share. Uh, And the aims for today's session are to create and introduce the characters, learn the basics of how the game works, and uh, have a debrief period at the end. I don't know if we're going to do all of that, but we'll do most of that. Um, The tone of the Between Ghosts of El Paso is dark, haunted, and gritty. A little bit of levity or humor from time to time is okay. Uh, but we will always strive to return to that dark and brooding place the characters exist in. Um, so this game is, I, will, I expect in tone, to be somewhere between our game of Undying and The Watch. I don't know where exactly it will land. The, the Watch ended up being quite serious. Um, Undying ended up having a very serious premise, but sometimes taken, take the piss out of it here and there for sure. Um, we'll see where exactly we land, but definitely this one will skew darker than usual. Uh, subject matter-wise, uh, there's a lot of stuff in this game. Murder, body horror, mind and body control, alcoholism, addiction, war-related trauma, threats to animals and children, foul language, defiling graves, corpses, etc. Uh, All are things that can come up. Uh, we'll, before we get to playing the game, we'll do our own uh, behind-the-scenes, sort of lines and veils discussion and make sure we don't have any themes coming up that nobody wants to play with. Uh, Or don't feel safe with. Uh, But otherwise, this game will absolutely dig into some darker subject matter. And that's part of the joy of it. Is to explore those things. Uh, And then there's this note actually in the between that I wanted to read out as well. Because I think it's uh, similarly meaningful for the El Paso expansion as well. Uh, So the between takes place in Victoria-era London. uh, But the game does not concern itself too much with historical accuracy. And neither should you. In play, we embrace a fantastic version of this historical setting, one that is drenched in darkness and gothic horror, but we don't get too bent out of shape if things aren't exactly as they would have been. This is particularly important when it comes to portrayals of race, nationality, ethnicity, sexuality, gender, religion, disability, and neurodivergence. Uh, As those in these historical settings, those are often treated in a particular way historically, but we are not going to stick to those waters and carry on those traumas. (laughs) Uh, we're going to explore different traumas in the safe environment of the tables we're creating. Uh, so be aware of that. Um, but in the context of the Wild West, because like we obviously recognize that the version that we put forward in media of uh, the air quotes Wild West uh, is a fantasy uh, that is based uh, loosely in historicity and ignores so much of what actually happened in those times, particularly to those in the groups we mentioned just a minute ago.
1: Sort of like Arthurian legend.
0: Yeah, a little bit. It glorifies lots of things that it definitely shouldn't, it, uh, and it, it glosses smooths over, over,
1: over a other. lot of pretty problematic approaches to civilization.
0: So <clears throat> we will be exploring this genre in the course of this game and not the real history. Um, and in doing so, I I hope to also avoid some of the pitfalls that is often present in the genre as far as the ignorance around lots of stuff. So the between is a fairly rigidly structured game. And as the keeper, that's a really good thing because it means that there's less cognitive load in, uh, at any given time that I have to manage in order to understand where we're at in the story and what comes next. Um, and I think it's also really good for the players as well to understand what the expectations are in any given zone of play. Uh, and specifically, the play structure in the between uh, is a day cycle. And this will be, this will be a temporal cycle. Um, this isn't like the concept of Dawn Day, Dusk Night. It's a real time structure. Uh, it, it will be a full day. Uh, and sometimes in the game, when we pick up with the dawn of a new day, that is not the next day. Sometimes there will be like sort of a, a bit of a time skip in between that we may high level like it's two weeks from our last you know, day, you know, day of gameplay or whatever. But each day is a day and we'll, we'll go over the structure now. Here's the thing about the play structure. Uh, although it is organized dawn, day, dusk, night in play, I found that it really ends up being like day, dusk, night, dawn like because all of the dawn stuff is really stuff you do at the end you started with the day you made it through the night and you made it to the next dawn that's like how the the experience is like and all of the dawn things are are stuff that happens at the end so i'm going to describe this starting with day uh with the day uh the keeper presents a new threat if there are less than 3 active threats And regular scenes commence uh, and continue until the keeper decides to move to the next phase. So basically during the day, that's when you'll pretty much do whatever you want. Uh, Jason has a phrase when running the game that he says, the day belongs to the players and the night belongs to me. Uh, And I'm going to be adhering to that in many ways as well. The day is when if you want to go and talk to someone in particular, uh, either in, in order to gain information about a threat, or if you want to go investigate something, you can do that. If you just want to go to the saloon and get a drink and see what happens, you can do that. Uh, if you want to stay home and fake like you're sick in bed all day, you can do that. It's the daytime, baby. You can do whatever you want. Um, so that's how the day works. It's just you doing things. Pretty much whatever you'd like. Dusk is where we resolve any playbook moves or custom moves that are resolved during the dusk phase. Uh, there are several moves that are triggered by that transition from day to night. Um, I will pose uh, a paint the scene question about the wounded knight so that we will uh with each dusk, we will flesh out a little bit more about this perilous time in El Paso. Um, each player uh says what their hunter will be doing during the upcoming night phase. And I'll add the little asterisk. Um, you will be saying what you will try to do in the coming night phase. But as I said earlier, the night belongs to me. Uh so sometimes. What you would like to do and what ends up happening may not quite align. Uh, Number four for the dusk, uh, this is an optional thing. Uh, If there are any Janus mask prompts that remain unresolved, then you can handle those then. Uh, Janus masks are like crowns in Brindlewood Bay. We will explore those more deeply uh, later when we get to that function of play. And the Keeper also introduces the Unseen during the dusk. Uh, The Unseen is a really cool feature of The Between where as we play through the night... Ah, uh, in between night scenes, there are different unseen questions that each of you will have the opportunity to answer. In the dusk phase, I will assign one of those questions to each of you, and the unseen just explores something else that's happening concurrently in El Paso, and it explores like another facet of the setting. You get to dig in a little bit to the sort of tone and themes of the game, and also if anything uh, happens during the night phase that then. Has a parallel with something described in one of the unseen scenes um, then that's referred to as an echo in the night and you gain experience points with the next dawn phase uh, if you experienced an echo in the night if you either through play or through your unseen created uh, one of these parallels an example is like and I'll use the the base version of the between because I've played more of that as an example if there's a scene where one of the hunters is going into a house and there are like these rich red drapes and there's like, I don't know, a vampire or something. And they like describe the scene with these like this rich red for all these blood themes. And then during the unseen, maybe it's like at a hospital and someone describes like the 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 curtain or something being stained red by like some patient's blood or something. Then that would be an echo in the night. And then you would get experience for that. So that's a, an interesting facet of the between that, I've never seen anything like it in another game. It's a really cool feature. So um, before we move on to talking about the night, I almost forgot. um, This isn't in the formal graph in the game details, but uh, another thing that usually happens during the dusk, and I think Jason said that it's going to be in an updated version of the between down the line, is during the dusk, you'll answer questions about your threats. This game, like Brindlewood Bay, is about answering questions about solving a mystery In the case of Brundlewood Bay, it's about solving a murder mystery, and you play it as these grandmas solving murders. Uh, In the case of The Between, you are trying to answer questions about some kind of threat and eventually resolve it. Uh, Resolving a threat can only happen during the night, but during the day, you can collect information, and in the dusk, you can answer one of your questions, uh, or sometimes multiple if you've been collecting clues for various threats, because you can have several concurrent threats while playing The Between. So answering those questions happens in The Dusk. That then helps players tee up to decide what they want to do during the night. And then we get to the night phase, uh, which basically rolls in the structure of uh, a player answers a unseen question and describes uh, part of the unseen. Uh, The keeper frames up a scene with one or more of the hunters. And then that just repeats until everyone has been the focus of a scene and all of the unseen has been worked through. And then the night phase ends and we move out of the night into the dawn, which is where we then resolve the consequences of that full day period. And it's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for us.
1: And And I'm feeling good.
0: Asterisk. You're feeling good, asterisk, because you may have died during the night. Sometimes bad things happen in this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What? Bad things happening in a spooky haunted El Paso? I don't believe you. (laughs) I don't buy it. During the dawn,
0: it's This is basically your end-of-game resolution stuff. You collect rewards. Uh, if a threat was resolved, you answer Dawn questions, which are another way to get experience. You mark new uh, Dawn questions for your following day. Uh, Dawn questions are essentially little uh, role-play goals for your character. Um, and these were present in uh, Brindlewood Bay as well, which we've played on the show before, although they were called something else.
5: What? Which ones? Uh, in Brindlewood Bay, the questions you kind of tried to answer as role play goals.
3: Oh fuck.
0: Questions. I don't remember. It's fine. We don't need to uh, It's fine. <laughs> we can Everything's cut this. fine. We can cut this. Um so you mark new elective Dawn questions.
1: We're gonna remember later and it's gonna irritate the hell out of us that we forgot.
0: It will. Gonna yell it at some point. Scream it from the roof from the rooftops. Ah <laughs>
2: that got the cat's attention and it's barely coming through (laughs) my
0: headphones (laughs) you you went super critical and the
2: cats could hear you (laughs)
3: Uh,
0: you resolve any lingering uh, playbook or custom moves that are resolved during the dawn phase uh, and any final janus mask prompts that remain unresolved after that day you will resolve during the dawn so That is the general play structure of the game. uh, Day, dusk, night, dawn. Um, And you play through those until all of your threats are resolved. And that's the game. And generally, this snowballs in a campaign to then having a mastermind threat uh, and all sorts of fun stuff that comes with that. But we won't really be uh, exploring that as we're going to be just doing this sort of one-shot focused thing. I think we'll only go through two days of play structure. We might do three. I don't know until we start playing uh, what our pacing is going to be like. Um, But I'm expecting at least two threats to come into play, maybe three. So that might be three days. We'll see. I've got plans, though. It's going to be fun. So that's the general phase structure. Can't wait to derail the plans. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, one of the great things is that you all get to derail the plans. The Between has a really strong focus on all players at the table having a great deal of agency uh, both for their own characters' stories but then also through the unseens through different uh, painting the scene questions and other like prompts throughout uh, for example the one about the wounded knight every desk um, you all get to contribute in fleshing out the setting the story and then of course your character's actions so it's it's all you and me together. We write the we write the songs that make the whole world sing. <laughs> Aww. Um, so uh, for folks who might be familiar with the Between, uh, there are some differences uh, slightly between the base game and
1: El Paso. <laughs> between,
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, all right.
3: <laughs>
0: so in uh, the Between, set in Victorian London, all of the hunters are part of Hargrave House. Uh, which is both a physical house and also a sort of clandestine organization that hunts monsters and stuff on behalf of Scotland Yard and other folks. Uh, But this isn't that game. This isn't that game. Uh, Instead, we have the Vigilance Committee, which is the equivalent. This is this group that you were all a part of in helping to deal with the ghosts and specters that emerged due to the Wounded Knight. The Mastermind in the Between is still the Mastermind in Ghosts of El Paso. And the Day-Night structure, of course, very, very strong in the Between, is roughly equivalent uh, in El Paso. So one of the core distinctions is the Vigilance Committee and the Wounded Knight stuff as opposed to Hargrave House and its missions in the base game. So uh, we've talked about the general play structure, kind of how things unfold. Uh, Let's talk about like dice rolling and abilities and like how the game plays. So just like in Brindlewood Bay and many other Powered by the Apocalypse games, you're going to be rolling 2d6, uh, two two of those little QB dice boys. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and uh, adding a relevant modifier from your uh, abilities. We need a
1: shirt that says QB Dice Boys. QB
0: Dice Boys. That was actually my band. Uh, QB Dice QB, Boys. QB Dice Boys. I like it. Uh, and you might uh, in this game have advantage or disadvantage at times uh, due to conditions or other circumstances. And what that will mean is you'll just roll three dice six and then you're going to take the highest or lowest of the two, depending on if you're with advantage or disadvantage. So that's a common feature. Uh, the abilities in the between, which have a minimum of minus three, a maximum of plus three, uh, are vitality, composure, reason, presence, and sensitivity. Um, so these are actually, I think, the exact same as Brindlewood Bay. So for I keep comparing things to Brindlewood Bay because, A, it's another game that Jason wrote before this. And B, uh, we played it on the show before. So if you are listening to this now and you're like, he keeps talking about that game. Just if, if you're curious about it, just, we, we, we just listen to it. It's
1: good. Time. Yeah, just stop here. We'll wait for you. <laughs> yeah.
0: We'll wait. So pull over on the side of the road. Stop the podcast. <laughs> listen to all of Brindlewood Bay then come back and join us. We'll wait. Uh, anyway, so, so the abilities are vitality, composure, reason, presence, and sensitivity. Uh, vitality is about your character's physicality, athleticism, endurance, et cetera. Uh, composure is like if you need to have a steady hand, a calm disposition, uh, concentrate or avoid a fear based reaction. Um, reason is studying books, researching, uh, examining a crime scene, using the old noggin to approach the problem. Presence is if you're trying to use your charms to, uh, you know, compel someone or get information from them, intimidate, capture someone's imagination is in here, which I do love that. I don't know what it means to capture someone's imagination, but it sure, like, it tells an emotional story, right?
1: Sam, where'd you grow up? (laughs) Sam? That's it. That's the thing. Yeah. That's capturing somebody's imagination.
0: Uh, Who's Sam? Emma, that is a reference that nobody will get.
1: I know, it was for you.
0: Okay, thank you. (laughs) Uh, And sensitivity uh, is if your action is relating uh, whatsoever to occult or supernatural forces. Um, then it will be governed by sensitivity, and we will roll that instead. Uh, and now, now we get to what I described earlier and alluded to. We're going to talk about Janus masks. Uh,
2: so is it these- Janus or is it Janus? <laughs> I always thought it was Janus. <laughs>
1: uh, I believe Janus is probably the closest. Uh, it is where we get January from, so it's if you go back to like January. Or something like that.
0: I'm going to go with Janice.
1: That's fine. Uh,
0: I mean, I suppose, <laughs> gosh. Janice masks are an in-game currency that can be spent to bump a roll by one stage. So if you have... Oh, so it's just like every other gotcha game. Well, well, not exactly. And you got to spend points to be good. Wow. I just, I just realized something important. Uh, and that's that I described the dice rolling earlier. And I said, like, oh, it's like PBTA. But if, if this is your first time coming to the show where we play these sorts of games, or like just coming to the between and like you haven't like read it over yet, you won't know like what that means that we roll 2D six and like what happens because of that. If if you sum the you sum the dice, and if it's six or below, that is a miss. Uh, there are consequences. Uh, you can think of it like a failure, but it's more like uh just I, the keeper take control of the narrative as a result and usually it's it's bad for your character doesn't always but it's usually bad for your character um seven to nine is a mixed success on the dice Uh, and that means that you are generally successful but there might be some consequence or complication and then a 10 plus is a full success and uh sometimes if you get even higher you might get some bonus from a move but for the most part moves are taking particular kinds of actions rolling your dice you get a particular result So having described those different stages of success, uh, if you spend a Janus mask, now I'm saying it funny. (laughs) Y'all have done this to me. It's Janus. So (laughs) if you spend a Janus mask, uh, then you can bump up a roll from one of those stages. So you can bump a failure or, or a miss. A failure? A failure. Uh, you can bump a miss. I hardly
1: to... know her.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can bump a miss to a mixed success, a mixed success to a full success, and a full success to an even higher one if that move you know stands for it in some way. Um, so, yeah, that's how they work. Uh, specifically, though, you talked about it like a Gotch game, and actually, it's not like that because in those, you spend your imaginary points and just get the result. Janus masks come at a cost. There are two sets of masks. There are masks of the past. Gotcha games come at a cost too. You spend real money (laughs) for in-game money. You know, that's fair. So this is like spending narrative currency in order to to gain narrative success. It's a gotcha game. Uh, (laughs) You got to spend, you got to make narrative to get narrative. Uh, So (laughs) how it works, uh, masks of the past uh, are, uh, you you have to narrate uh, a answer to one of the prompts. Um, which will be related to your character's backstories. I'm actually getting a little bit ahead of myself. I was going to talk about this later during character rec-
5: during character creation, but uh, instead, I'm going to do it now, real quick. Excuse me. That was Janice.
3: <clears throat> Janice.
5: So it's Janice. That's what I said mm-hmm. originally.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. Janice.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Janice. Janice from accounting. So, in, in the base game of The Between, this is actually described under the caption, the most important thing. The Between is called such because the characters are caught between their dark and mysterious past and their equally dark and possibly tragic future. And we experience that live at the table. So, most of your character's backstory, all of the most significant details, are all only unlocked by spending Janus masks of the past. Um, that's how you then answer those questions. And that gets revealed to the, the audience and to the other players at the table. One of the fun things, because we're doing this as a one shot that I'm going to say is for your masks of the past, uh, they have to be spent in, in order. Um, but since there's no way we're going to get through those, I think you have like six of them or so, something like that number. Um there's no way we're going to get through all of those in the course of our one shot. I have 7. You have 7. Okay, so there's 7 masks of the past. Um I will let you start if you want to spend masks of the past. We haven't talked about masks of the future yet. But if you want to spend masks of the past, I will let you start anywhere in that list, but then you have to keep moving forward from there. So that way you, you can tell the part of your character's backstory that you would like to if you want to spend masks of the past. That's how those work. Um so Yes, you do get to bump up your role. In exchange, you have to narrate this little scene about your character's backstory, and then that gets integrated into the narrative of the, the game. So that's a, a lot of fun. So yeah, you have to spend narrative to make narrative here in the gotcha game. Masks of the future are governed a little bit differently. These have effects in-game usually. Uh, for instance, your final Mask of the Future, these ones can be spent in any order, um, but the the last in the list, Mask of the Future, is. Uh, someone who has their sheet up. What's the name of it? What? I don't want to call it this whatever it's called. The first? The last? The last. The, the blood-soaked blood portal. Yeah. So this is the one. Everyone has the blood-soaked portal. Uh, the exact co- uh, consequences of it differ a little bit. But you narrate your character dying. That is the blood-soaked portal. Uh, dying or or some different end that they might have depending on your playbook. With any role at any time, you can just kill your character. <laughs> uh by spending that mask of the future and that is a part of the game uh one one thing intrinsic in its design was your character's end is up to you as the player and that control is in your hands because if the narrative would kill them you can always spend a mask and uh, it's not until you run out of masks completely which is up to you uh if that finally goes through there are lots of ways to, uh, well, not lots. There are some ways that you can recover masks depending on which playbook you're playing. Um, there are also often masks uh, that are free for the table that are associated with a given threat. Um, I will announce those when I announce the threat during the the day phase. So if those are available to you, I will let you know. Um, but that's roughly how Janus masks work. If you want to know more, of course, read the book. There's lots of interesting stuff in there. Um, so yeah, that's how Janus masks work. Um, Let's talk about the basic moves now. This is what you'll actually be rolling dice for. Take it back now, (laughs) y'all. One One hop hop this this time. time. (laughs) Yeah, so the five moves are uh, one hop this time, right foot, left stomp, left foot, left stomp, hands on your knees, hands on your knees, and everybody clap your hands.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cha-cha real smooth. Oh,
0: shit, there's a sixth bonus move. (laughs) That's Uh, the history. Yes. Okay, so here are the moves. Um... Similar, again, to Brindlewood Bay, we have a day move and a night move that are kind of the catch-all for most actions during the day and the night that aren't specifically covered by other moves. Um, The day move happens during the day phase, uh, so it's much more strictly phased than in Brindlewood Bay. And this is as follows. Uh, When you do something risky or face something you fear, name what you're afraid will happen if you fail or lose your nerve. Then roll with an appropriate ability. 10 plus success, 7 to 9, make success. On a miss, I just take action. Um, but on a 12 plus, uh, you do what you intended to do or hold steady and you gain some extra benefit or advantage. Yeah. So that's a cool little 12 plus bit. So the night move is very similar to the day move. Uh it's when you do something risky or face something you fear, you name what you're afraid will happen if you fail or lose your nerve. Only I will then tell you how it is worse than you fear. And you can choose to either back down or go through with it. Uh, and if you go through with it, then you roll with the appropriate ability. Same thing, 10 plus. Success, 7 to 9 mixed, 12 plus with special benefit. So day move and night move are rolled a lot in the game during the day and night phases, respectively. But I would say at the core of the game is the information move. When you search for a clue, conduct research. Res- resource, research? Research?
2: <laughs> research? Researcher, research.
0: God, we were talking Emma, Emma and I were talking the other day about replacing random characters in games with the Swedish chef and what that would be like uh, and we were talking about like replacing uh, Grimm from Apocalypse World with the Swedish chef <laughs> <laughs> it would have been awesome anyway
3: it would have uh, been great
0: So uh, the information move is when you search for a clue, conduct research, or otherwise gather information, you describe how you're doing so, and then roll with the appropriate ability. Uh, Hit, you get a clue. Uh, Seven to nine, there's a complication, either with the clue or while you're searching, I'll tell you. Uh, On a six minus, it's a miss, and I get to take a move. Uh, On a 12 plus, you also find a mastermind clue. So uh, information move is one of those things I think people are most likely to... Even on a hit, potentially spend a crown so you get that extra mastermind clue too. Uh, that's always a good time. Um, the information move, though, is what feeds into answering a question, uh, which is another core move of the game. Uh, this happens during the dusk phase. When the hunters have an open, freewheeling discussion about the answer to a question, uh, once they have gathered a number of clues equal to at least half the question's complexity and reach a consensus, then you roll plus the number of clues incorporated into the answer or otherwise explained away, minus the question's complexity. So what that means is, each question has a complexity. Um, Let's say uh, uh, the question is who is this ghost? Like, who who is this a ghost of, or something? Uh, I'm sure that is probably sort of like a question for one of the threats in the game. Um, And let's say that has a complexity of four. Then once you've gathered at least two clues, you can go to answer that question during the desk phase. However, there are some disadvantages with doing it at that few clues because, I mean, A, you'll have few enough clues that it'd be kind of hard to come up with a good, compelling answer for that question. But also, whatever the complexity is, uh, you subtract the number of clues you have from it. So if you only have two clues, then instead of rolling into that roll with you know, a flat dice, uh, you have a minus two. I think I misspoke earlier when I said you, you subtract your number of clues from it. Um, you subtract the complexity from whatever you're rolling from your number of clues. Boy, I hope I fix this in post. This is not been
3: a good <laughs>
5: explanation.
0: Uh, <laughs> basically, if if it's complexity four and you have four four clues, then you roll flat. If you have fewer than the number of clues that you need for the complexity, then you subtract that number from your dice. Uh, and if you have more clues than you need for that complexity, then you uh, increase, uh, you add a modifier of uh, plus one, plus two, plus three, et cetera, to your dice. And that's how that works um, on a ten plus your answer is correct, and an opportunity can be pursued during the night phase on a seven to nine the above is still true the answer is correct, but I will add an unwelcome complication to your answer and or pursuing that opportunity will be even more dangerous on a six minus the answer is incorrect and I will take a reaction during the night phase and on a twelve plus the mastermind will reveal themselves while the hunters are pursuing the opportunity that they've gained so that will be a a a little fun bonus as well um with answering a question it cannot be taken with advantage or disadvantage however you can use janus masks to improve the the role however you only can do that if everyone spends a janus mask but if everyone spends a janus mask then you can upgrade a answer a question role
1: and a janus mask is either the mask of the past or the
0: mask of the future either one it's up to you got it Uh, And finally, uh, our last move is the Vulnerable move. Uh, When you have an intimate moment with another hunter, while one of you is engaged in your vice, you may clear an appropriate condition. Uh, If it's your vice, you can also stumble on a clue, Uh, you tell the keeper what it is, or invite the other hunter to ask you about your past. You must answer truthfully, but not necessarily completely. So the Vulnerable move is uh, another, I would say, pretty novel facet of this game. It's when you... I mean, as the text says, you have an intimate moment with another hunter. It's basically in sort of the downtime between stuff. This usually happens during the day phase, but it's not necessarily locked at that. And one of you is engaging in your vice. Each of your characters has a, a vice that's part of your playbook. You can clear a condition, which you gain from those mixed successes we talked about earlier, usually. Although, actually, I can give out conditions if it's narratively appropriate as well. You also gain these benefits. Uh, you'll notice that the vulnerable move does not involve a role. There is no role with it just if this set of circumstances is met then you gain these benefits i've described previously uh, in the brindlewood bay game uh, that brindlewood bay and i would say the between as well it tends to have a fanning out and then a fanning back together of the players oftentimes during the day phase uh you'll kind of spread out and do your own thing that's not necessarily true you might do stuff together but then with the night phase people will sometimes do things on their own or they'll come together in order to face a threat together uh, and if, you have, if a question has been answered and you want to resolve that opportunity um, but then often with the next day with all the conditions that might have been accrued through the craziness of the previous one a lot of times it'll the vulnerable move kind of forces people to come back together and connect a little bit in order to shed those conditions which otherwise you have a capacity for three conditions and if you take on a fourth condition when you are full of conditions uh, you get rid of one of your conditions and uh, add the new one. But you also have to spend a Janus mask, which is why generally people just spend a Janus mask to upgrade the role. So then you avoid the condition completely. But sometimes it's more narratively interesting to take the condition and still have to spend the Janus mask. So Um, those are all options there. So those are the five basic moves. Um, This is a very streamlined game and with the uh, tight play structure, It all really works very naturally. Um, I think we'll find in play that it's pretty easy to know at any given time, like what to do or where to go next. Um, But next up, we would get to character creation, but I actually want to describe just a little bit about the setting first so that our audience has a better context for some of these characters and some of the stuff going on with them. There's a section from the book that's specifically about, like, kind of the wounded knight in El Paso and the Vigilance Committee, and I'm just going to read this off real quick so that everybody is on the same footing before we get into character creation. (laughs) I was about to read it out, and it basically says what I just said. Before we begin character creation, I want to share a few more details with you about the setting. Um, The first thing you need to understand is the backdrop of this game is the season of the Wounded Knight, or more simply, the Wounded Knight. The Wounded Knight happens every six years in El Paso and lasts from the late part of summer to the early part of winter. And it is so named because each night during this period, the moon is blood red like a bullet hole in the starry sky. During the Wounded Night, the veil between the land of the living and the land of the dead is thinned, and all sorts of strange occurrences take place. Not always related to ghosts, but ghosts are the main concern of the player characters. These characters, the Hunters, are the Vigilance Committee of El Paso. They have their own motivations and mysterious pasts, but they share the common goal of defending El Paso from the strange events that result from the Wounded Night. They're a semi-official organization, sometimes operating outside official channels, and sometimes within them. Importantly, the Vigilance Committee was formed because everyone in El Paso remembers the last season of The Wounded Knight, six years ago, and wants to avoid the terrible things that happened then. By the time we join these characters, they've already been working together for a time. We don't dwell on how they came to join the committee. You're all just on it. You're all a part of it. Another thing to know is that these characters are to remain mysterious. We should avoid talking about their pasts, both in and out of character, unless we are prompted to do so by the game's rules. We discussed that earlier, but basically it's just like we're watching a good TV show. We want the good bits to come out when they come out, you know? But that's all the critical setting details to set up for these characters. Um, Let's talk about your playbooks. Yeah, uh... We're going to start with kind of the core information. So we're going to get your names, your look, your vice. uh, I guess I should say (laughs) we'll get your name and your playbook, uh, (laughs) your look, your vice. uh, And then we'll come back around for ability scores and and moves and stuff like that. So let's start with Pat. I'm going to be playing the Marshall playbook. Uh, My character's name is Marshall Jefferson Stockley. Uh,
5: Jefferson Stockley.
0: Marshall Jefferson Stockley. I love it. The duly appointed lawman of this (laughs) town. For those of you listening, I stared David dead in the face for absolutely no reason as I said that. Intense (laughs) delivery marshall stockley's look is uh he wears the old marshall's tanned leather vest uh he has a well oiled mustache Mm. well oiled made very clear that it was well oiled uh and oiled with that texas tea or something else (laughs) do you oil your mustache with actual crude oil (laughs) no it's like okay you know, what, oil. you know what <laughs> well-oiled I, no, you're, means? You're in Texas. You could be doing that Texas tea. They had, they had stuff to put in there. Oh, yeah. No, ashes, no they do. For sure. Otherwise, it wouldn't be well-oiled, would it? <laughs> no. And uh, he wears a shoulder holster. His vice is hot baths.
1: Nice. That's a good
0: one. His vice is hot baths? Hot baths. Oh, my gosh. You're just the witcher over here.
3: <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
0: okay uh emma specifically requested to go last so we'll come back around to her uh dave would you like to go next
2: sorry doing some quick frantic googling uh does does is this is the sbc origin 1845 yes okay sorry <laughs> i was like i was like he's gonna be a southern Baptist. <gasps> did the sbc exist then yes started in 1845 okay okay good, good. <laughs> excellent All right, my character—they
1: were still ordaining women back then, I think, or not? Probably the Southern
2: Baptists. Yeah, I don't know. The Friel Baptists were still. Almost certainly not the SBC. Um. All right, Uh, my character is going to be the lost. He is your friend, neighbor, and pastor, Brother Gideon Lovelace. Mm. Uh, he is
1: the name Dave, right? Gideon Lovelace. 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 Like Ada Lovelace.
2: Yeah. Loveless. God damn it. (sighs) (laughs) Uh, And he's... He's a tall man. And he dresses for the weather. He's got a nice seersucker suit. And he wears... Oh, nice. Yeah. And and to keep the sun out of his face, he pairs that with a nice straw boater hat. uh, And a pair of... Uh, I, had to, I actually, part of my frantic Googling, uh, a pair of what we would call today sunglasses to help keep the bright glare of the El Paso sun out of his eyes.
5: Wow, sunglasses
0: have been around a lot longer than I realized.
2: They weren't like super trendy until the early 20th century. It's true. Um, but there is written evidence of uh, of sunglasses used during the American Civil War. Wow. Uh, an American uh, reporter, Walter Alden, Rota soldiers using shell spectacles to protect their eyes from the sunlight. So, yeah, he's got he's got some uh, some some shell spectacles to try and cut down on the bright El Paso sun and to cut down on El Paso's other less obvious pains and downsides. He's got his vice, a handy hip flask, always filled with something to help take the edge off. Excellent. Right on. Uh,
5: Gwen, how about you?
4: Okay, we have Angel McCoy with good name. She has straight black hair that hangs to her shoulders,
3: mm-hmm.
4: electric green eyes, and a la- lapel Ooh. pin in the shape of a broken heart with an onyx uh, tip.
0: Ooh! Mm. All right, I'm digging it. I I have like a a
4: good idea now. Tell me tell me more. What's the what's the vice? Vice is sharpening knives. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did we get your playbook yet?
4: <laughs> oh. Oh
0: right. That's important.
4: Oh yeah. Playbook is the bootstrapper. So she owns the saloon.
0: Yeah. And we'll we'll get into a little bit more about what goes into each of your playbooks when we cycle back around again. Uh, But quickly.
4: So, well, so for the bootstrapper in particular, there's also a piece regarding the saloon's name.
0: Oh, yeah. Let's get that now, too.
4: Now, I had picked a name, Uh but it apparently has rules for creating the name. Really? Yes. So... Uh, I have to ask each player for a Western-sounding adjective and an <laughs> animal found in Texas for inspiration.
0: Oh, interesting!
4: Now, oh. alternatively, I had I had actually looked up desert flowers, and I was going to name it the golden Sun Cup. Oh, I like that.
0: I kind of—I mean, it's got—I can vibe. That sounds good to me.
1: I really like the Golden Sun Cup. I don't know if we would be able to come up with something better than that. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I really liked it.
0: <laughs> when you said adjective and animal, the first thing that popped to my head was dusty armadillo, but I like armadillo was where I was going to. But 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 I like Golden Sun Cup. That's good.
4: Yay. I was hoping you guys would say that.
1: <laughs> I like it for other reasons too that we'll get to.
0: Don't be offended though if my character just refers to
4: it as the cup. Uh
0: my character
4: is hard to offend.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Emma, quick quick summary.
4: My
1: name is Lorelai uh, Chambers. Mm-hmm. My look, uh, I have a black sun hat uh, that's kind of patched up. Uh, simple white blouse with kind of like poofy sleeves, poofy short sleeves. A maroon uh, ankle length skirt that puffs out a little bit. And black leather gloves that she pretty much always wears. Mm-hmm. Uh, my playbook is the inevitable. Um, should I get
0: into what that means, or uh, just the the high point?
5: The high point. Should we have read the description of her? You know, maybe we should have. Should I start? Yeah, you want to You wanna, Do you want
0: to just do your full? We can then have you essentially start off. Sure, I can do that. But you said you wanted to go last.
1: I did say I wanted to go last.
0: Do you still want to go but last? But I everything?
1: technically am going last. I'm going last and first. Everybody's favorite <laughs> combination.
2: <laughs> okay, sure, cool. Okay, just a little we, a little uh, Omega and Alpha. In this moment, then. we will we will.
0: I mean, it is actually fair that you I want am alpha, the and alpha and Omega. And
1: omega. Uh,
0: yeah, let's just start here and we'll go into full dive. Uh. Emma, continue. Yes,
1: uh, the Pale Rider, the Grim Reaper, Death. You are the physical manifestation of the only certainty in this world. You know who and what you are, but you do not know why you are here in this weak mortal form. Your host, a body you must protect at all costs. The seals on the scroll have not been broken. You are not here for your final true purpose, and yet, here you stand. You wonder what other beings lurk on this earth that do not belong. You must send them back and get back yourself. This town, with its sinister glow visible only to you, is the work of something truly evil. Perhaps even the devil himself. But why here? Why now? Perhaps this vigilance committee? This group of hunters your host was a part of can help. In any case, you are. And you are in El Paso. So you death. I am death. I am disaster. I, I
5: am, am death.
0: death. You didn't expect to meet, meet me, me so, so soon.
1: <laughs> uh so the playbook move that I always have is death incarnate. You have a condition that can never be cleared, death touch. Any side characters that make contact with your bare skin will die right now or later today, unless you actively try to prevent their death. Make the day-night move at disadvantage. If you mean for them to die, the Keeper can declare they are protected by the Wounded Knight and shall instead live. If they do so, the side character's survival becomes a clue, or Mastermind's clue. Keeper's choice.
5: Yeah.
0: I, I, I'm a big fan. Basically, if you, if you touch someone, they're gonna die. Mm-hmm. And if
5: they don't die, they're a clue.
1: I have not picked my abilities, my ability score that I want to increase. Um, Well,
5: you should do that right now.
1: I... Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to put it in sensitivity.
5: All right. So what does that bring your
0: totals to?
1: I have a zero in vitality, a one to composure, a zero to reason, a zero to presence, and a two to sensitivity.
5: Excellent. That makes sense. Makes I feel like it sense. It works. Uh, and then what's the other move you're taking?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm trying to decide what would be the most helpful.
0: It doesn't have to be helpful. It can just be what you want. What, just tell me what you want. What you really, really?
1: Oh, I didn't good. mention what my vice was. Oh, yeah. What's your vice? Um, my vice is games.
0: Games. Ooh. Would you like to play? Death plays games game. over here.
1: Which makes me think that I should probably take the one that says care for a game. When you play any game with a side character, you may do any or all of the following, win or lose. Ask the Keeper when and how they are meant to die. The Keeper can ask you can ask you, or declare it instead. Uh, ask them about their true nature or motives. They will answer truthfully and completely and or prevent them from dying for one day cycle.
0: Interesting. That would be fun.
1: Yeah. There's also one where I can summon a horse, which is nice. Oh, it's death on a pale horse
0: Emma don't bring a horse to this game you <laughs> don't want to give me that
1: it's a western
0: <laughs> that's fair it is one. a western just, just for anyone who's listening to our ghost lines game they know that I like me and my horses
1: uh, there's one called death's gloaming gaze I can see pitch I can see perfectly in pitch blackness and my composure and vitality scores are increased by one during the night phase no maximum mm. Uh, the first time you reveal your true nature to another hunter, you may offer this boon to them if they accept they have, to, they have access to death's gloaming gaze during the following night phase but must take the condition melancholy or photosensitive uh, if they benefit from it.
0: I really like the game ones myself just because I, since it's already your vice, it'll play into the narrative, which means it's likely to come up, mm-hmm. which is helpful in a one
5: shot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we'll go for that then care for a game. I like that.
5: Cool. Um, Any other salient detail you want to add
0: about your hunter?
1: Oh, uh, in the, in the notes for like suggestions for, for names and looks and stuff for first name, it just says none. It doesn't want me to have a first name. I have a first
5: name. (laughs) (laughs) And it is Lorelei.
0: Uh, Okay. Uh, Otherwise, then Oh, do we, if we're doing a true Alpha Omega thing, do we want to then go in reverse
1: order back? So to Gwen next?
0: Yeah. All right, Gwen, uh, what is, describe your playbook a little bit more thoroughly, uh, and then what's the base move, and then what additional move do you choose? And your ability scores.
4: You've got a lot of blood, sweat, and tears invested in El Paso. You personally helped get it incorporated, You did all the heavy lifting to get a railroad coming through in the next couple of years, and when El Paso becomes a boom town, it will be thanks to you. Most people don't know that you clawed your way out of the muck and the mire by being willing to do what others weren't. They may clutch their pearls when they hear about it, but they're all the same. Big talk before they slink in the back. To have a look at the wares. This wounded knight business and all that comes with it jeopardizes your plans, your dreams, your ambitions for this town. And that's why you've agreed to do your duty and join the Vigilance Committee.
0: Excellent. Uh, What? Uh, What's your base move?
4: The saloon. And it has a a lot. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh you can summarize if you don't want to read through all of it
4: uh basically you're uh she's the owner of a thriving saloon mm-hmm. with dependable staff we mm-hmm. pour drinks or food piano everything you'd expect from an old western saloon there's of course also rooms and then it lists out staff and what they do. Okay.
5: So cook. Yeah, we'll we'll just explore that through play. So
4: yeah, uh, etc. The uh ability scores. hmm
0: And you uh it gives you a starting set, and then you get to add one to one of those.
4: Yes That's when you start. So vitality is zero, mm-hmm. sensitivity is zero,
3: mm-hmm.
4: reason is one, mm-hmm. composure is zero. And presence is two.
5: Oh, cool. So you're going to boost presence.
4: Yes. Very nice.
0: I like it. Uh, And then what's the other ability you're going to take?
4: Brace yourself. I actually picked that ahead of time. Hey.
0: (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hit us with it. What'd you get?
4: Have you met my associate? So I have connections from my old life. And when I put out the word that I need help, Those old connections will come back and help.
5: Oh, that's fun.
4: Now, how responsive they are will depend on a die roll.
0: (laughs) So is that uh, summoning a specific person or a group of someone's?
4: I have a broker of secrets, a pickpocket, money lender, the muscle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, awesome. That's gonna be fun. All right. Um, anything else? Any other salient detail you wanna you wanna share? Anything you have?
4: Uh nope, that's everything for uh for this particular playbook sure. at this particular moment in time.
5: Excellent. Uh Dave. All right.
2: Brother Lovelace is the lost. You were a true believer once. You were called to help the wounded during the war between the states, but the horrors of that war shook your faith left you with questions and doubts. You came out west, but you're just going through the motions of being a religious leader. Every day, you feel the sting of your own hypocrisy, like you're an imposter. And every day, you dull the pain. Each Sunday at your prayer tent on the edge of El Paso, you take a few coins from the collection plate to eke out an existence. The Vigilance Committee approached you because of your strong faith. I think you can help them with the strange happenings associated with this so-called wounded knights. You're not so sure. But you can't tell them that. The Lost base playbook. What? <laughs> oh, sorry.
0: No, it's just the, the Lost is such a dramatic. So character. dramatic. It's so, good. <laughs> it's so good. I almost the lost. <laughs> the lost is great.
2: The two base playbook moves are Fallen and But Not Forgotten. They feed into each other, uh, fallen. If, I would, if the lost would be struck dead and they're not pious, they can instead narrate a scene where they're miraculously saved and then gain the condition pious. And the only way to clear pious is with their other move, their other base move, but not forgotten. While pious, you do not have access to your vice. Changed man, brother Lovelace. Maybe he'll find his faith again. Roles associated with any sinful act are taken at disadvantage while pious. And when you perform a charitable act, I do a little ticky box. And the longer I keep up the charade, the closer I come to losing my faith again. Until it eventually clears out the pious, leaving me uh, a leaving fallen available once again.
5: So you you cycle. Yes, it's all it's all about the the fall, the rise, the fall.
2: The rise, yep. To fall again, repeated. You in said purpose.
1: what your vice was, but remind me again.
2: Oh, he's an alcoholic. He's alcoholic as fuck.
1: That's right. Okay.
2: And additional moves. I'm going to list out the names and then pick one for you folks here. The loss can be sawbones. A group. They can have the grace of the Samaritan. They can engage in confession. He's Southern Baptist. We don't do that here. <laughs> Fire, fire and brimstone is definitely in line with the SBC, but Mm -hmm. I have to go with, it's just the name is so good. The final move here, Gethsemane. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. When you go to a place of solitude, express your regret for your morally reprehensible deeds out loud. I roll presence. on a hit, I clear a relevant condition. On a 10-plus, no one overhears you. Thank goodness for that. On a miss, someone or something dangerous is listening. I, I'm i going to be
0: liberal with giving out conditions in this game because I want to force... I want A, I want to force Gethsemane. To <laughs> right?
2: Is, it is, B, is such a, it's such a good biblical name.
0: Fuck. Oh, yeah. It's a good one. Gethsemane would be an excellent one for a
2: campaign, for sure. Mm-hmm. A
0: great or a move. cat. Oh yeah, it's good. It's also a good name. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: I'm only naming a cat Guess Seventy after I've named another cat Hecate. Though
1: mm. Hecate is good.
2: Oh, abilities. Uh, my vitality, composure, and reason are all goose eggs. He's not sturdy, prone to fly off the handle. Presence of two, sensitivity one. I put the one point into presence.
0: Ooh, that brings us over to Pat then.
5: Finish us out. <clears throat> So like we said, I picked the playbook, the marshal. You've always had a strong sense of right and wrong, but you never let that stop you from doing what you wanted. But then someone got hurt, more than hurt, and the law came after you. You ran. When you made it here
0: to El Paso, your loved one, the marshal of the town, hid you rather than turning you over to the authorities. You made a better life for yourself and things were going well until six years ago when the wounded knight took the marshal from you. You don't know why the people of El Paso turned to you, why they asked you to be the new marshal. Maybe it's because they saw you had
5: changed, something radiating from inside you, or maybe you were just who was on hand. In any case, you're the law now and have been these last six years, and now it's time again for the Wounded Knight and the Vigilance Committee. You'll do
0: your best to prevent anyone dying, but if someone must, you hope it might be you this time. Okay, so there's a lot of drama there, too. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Lords of the Edge.
0: (laughs) Lords of the Edge. It's surprising to me that Actual death is not nearly as edge lordy as two of the other playbooks
3: <laughs> I'm probably gonna be
1: the least edge lordy
0: in this. It's actually I don't know. Boot, bootstrapper is pretty like <clears throat> you know about town sort of vibes.
1: That's true, especially uh, with the with a plus two in presence. Oh yeah,
2: but for Pat and me, it's edges all the way down, baby.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> there is no smoothness. It is all edge, edge, sharpen edge. <laughs>
5: uh my abilities are uh vitality 0 composure 2 reason 0 presence is where i put my extra point it's a 2 sensitivity -1 oof
3: you
1: and i are going to be fun it's again and we did it again it's spot and crispin
2: <laughs> yo also, I, we, Except switch. This group firmly believes in having a high presence score.
4: Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, every
0: everybody has a two to presence except for Well, I put the extra point in presence for a reason, and we're getting to that. Oh yeah? Mm-hmm. The default move that I get is assemblage regarding the state of affairs of the township of El Paso. So yes, good. that is the full name of the move. So I good. You may call an assemblage during the dusk phase. If you do, say where it will be held and write down the name of each active threat on the lines below, and I have five lines. You may not call another assemblage until those threats are no longer active. During the dusk phase, after the assemblage has been called, each other hunter must state if they will be in attendance. Any hunter in attendance can only take actions related to the assemblage during the upcoming night phase. Additionally. I think this one's too wordy. Let's do a summary for this one instead. Oh, I can't summarize it. I don't remember all of it. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Additionally.
0: How will we use it in play? If you can't remember what it does, I'll constantly be reading it when I'm not talking. (laughs) Additionally, each hunter in attendance, including you, Can name a side character who will also be in attendance. That hunter gets advantage on any roles associated with actions related to that side character. The keeper can also have any other side characters they wish attend the assemblage. The assemblage will take place during the night phase that follows when it was called. The keeper cannot introduce any elements that would prevent the assemblage from taking place, nor can they prevent any hunter who agreed to attend from attending immediately after the first unseen prompt is resolved. You must give an opening speech related to the state of affairs in the township of El Paso. So I get to do some exposing. I'm ready for this shit. I'm so excited. Uh, I, between between you giving your assemblage expository and dave on his knees giving <laughs> sermons, That'd well be well specifically with gethsemane on his knees praying fervent prayer yes uh so you give the opening speech uh then roll with presence which is why i put the extra point in presence mm-hmm. on a hit the keeper will reveal one clue for each active threat over the course of the night phase On a seven to nine, a side character in attendance will raise a fuss about a mundane issue in town. Take the condition marked by name of said character, which cannot be cleared until you deal with the issue to their satisfaction or they are no longer in play. I want you to roll a mixed success on that. So, right. (laughs) On a twelve plus, the mastermind will appear at the assemblage, or you get a mastermind clue in addition to the other clues. Keeper's choice. On a miss, a threat appears and terrorizes the assemblage.
1: Oh, okay. So you can have a threat attack the assemblage once it's gotten together. Once oh yeah.
2: Got I mean, you got all those yeah, people in a, one a, spot. In order.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is this move is an interesting restriction on my the the night belongs to the keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, the assemblage happens. It's just a matter of what happens at the assemblage. Do you assemblage. have any other moves? Uh, so the additional move that I selected, I'm not going to read over all the other ones because I didn't select them. The one that I selected and the one that I'm very much excited to throw at David is known as the cellmate. Uh huh. There is a man who is always in the town's jail cell you keep releasing him, but he always shows back up to sleep it off. He calls himself Dell Soul, and he is covered in tattoos of suns and other celestial bodies. No one else in town, including other hunters, can see or hear him. Additionally, much like your own past, you never speak of him. Each time you have a scene with him, describe how his appearance reflects what you have revealed as a result of a mask of the past. Del Sol can be consulted like any other side character. When you do so, roll with sensitivity. Minus one.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> On a seven and nine, you gain one clue. He will reveal it in a way that reflects his current disposition. On a 10+, plus as above, but you gain two clues. Interesting. The Keeper determines Del Sol's disposition based on what you have marked on the Mask of the Future. If you are wearing no masks, Del Sol presents himself as a friendly drunk. If it is the Gilded Door, Del Sol asks you to refer to him by his first name, though he never says what it is. The Moss-Covered Gate. Del Sol makes frequent references to that which is hidden, especially things that take place behind closed doors or in the distant past. The darkened threshold. Del Sol engages in self-harm during the conversation. The cosmic passage. Del Sol's tattoos seem to change before your eyes. (laughs) The blood-soaked portal. You no longer see Del Sol. You are dead. (laughs) uh okay so a fun bit of context for anyone uh i uh there's a character who uh is a recurring character in the between the in the base game uh who is the man in the sun mask mm-hmm. who i think del del sol is an adaptation of uh that'll be fun
1: i was ex- that's one of the reasons i was excited that gwen chose the name the golden sun cup yeah <laughs> for- <laughs> For the saloon, because that works really well with
0: Del Sol. There is some sun imagery, and, like, you know, you have, like, the, the moon is significant in the Wounded Knight, so, like, they got the sun and the moon imagery. Mm-hmm. All that goodness. Okay. Awesome. All right. One more Uno reverse. We'll do the Marshall's Dwelling and Personal Quarters, and then we'll spin back around the room one last time. Dwelling? Uh... You live in the old marshal's residence. Mm-hmm. What did you change or remove from this place because it reminded you too strongly of the old marshal? Why do you now regret that choice? Let's see here. Um what did you change or remove from this place because it reminded you too strongly of the old marshal? I think the bed because I didn't want to sleep in the old marshal's bed. Yeah. Uh, but then it asks, "Why do you now regret that choice?" <laughs> <laughs> the one that I got that replaced it, yeah, is super uncomfortable. Yeah, and the old Marshalls was like broken in, and it was oh, more comfortable. That's why you love the baths. That's why I love the baths. Love the baths. You relax your sore Helps muscles. You relax your sore in muscles. Bad bed. Sleeping in the bad bed. I yeah.
1: like the idea that if you sleep almost anywhere else, you actually get more rest.
0: Yeah. That's why I tend to end up sleeping in the jail, like
5: in my office or something, because it's more comfortable there than in that dumb mattress that I bought for myself. All right. Uh, So now let's talk personal quarters. So, uh,
0: Gwen, Dave, this is something you've never done before because you haven't played Brindle Bay with us in the past. So in that, it's called Your Cozy Little Place. And... The between, it is your personal quarters. Uh, this is essentially your inventory. Um, these are things that your character has that you can use uh, going into a role for a move. If you decide to use or apply your one of your uh, items in any way, then you gain advantage on that role. And then the item becomes marked unless, for some reason, the item you have doesn't get marked. And there's whole mechanics for that and, and different playbook moves and stuff. <clears throat> so, uh... The fun thing about this is this is actually something that all of us decide for Pat. Uh, These are things that we think that Marshall Jefferson Stockley has in his personal quarters, things that the Marshall would have. These can be anything based on his history, but each of us gets to assign one. And I'm going to kick off. I'm going to say you have a tin of really high quality like beard and mustache oil. Uh, that you use to keep your facial hair in tip-top shape. And, I mean, (laughs) this is some stuff that, like, this is, like, a time before
3: the FDA, pretty sure?
0: Uh, Oh, for sure. So, uh, like, who's to say what all actually goes into this, but it does work really well for keeping that that
5: facial hair on point and maybe has some other uses, too. Who knows? What do you think, Emma? Let's go around. What if I told you I
0: already have a scenario in mind of how I could use that?
1: Um, I think that Marshall Jefferson Stockton has...
0: Stockley. Stockley? Stockley. Sorry. Marsh- Marshall, Marshall, Marshall Jefferson, Jefferson Stockley. Stockley. In stereo. <laughs> in stereo.
1: I think that Marshall Jefferson Stockley uh, has... My A larger than normal... Like, it can either be a flask or a canteen of some pretty good scotch. <laughs>
0: I thought uh, Dave's character already had the scotch.
1: Does he? All right.
2: No, he prefers good old-fashioned good old American bourbon. Oh, he's a bourbon. <clears throat> All right. I'm sorry, but there's not room in this town for two drunkards.
1: <laughs> I think there is. I think we have an entire <laughs> tavern to...
0: I think
2: we are in uh, the old, old western Texas. I propose a wager.
1: A wager, you say?
2: Let us attempt to fit as many as we can and find <laughs>
1: out.
2: Um, How many <laughs> can we fit into this town?
0: <laughs> All right. Dave's, well <laughs> Dave's answer to everything. I don't know. Let's fuck around and find out.
1: <laughs> well, now I have to come up with something else.
2: You can do that if you want. Yeah, But he already has it. But it's, it's he already has it. He's, he, one of his personal effects is a hip flask that's always filled. Uh, I mean, it's not yeah. like magic or anything. He just, you know, yeah, he it's, keeps it's, that it's
0: a look thing, not a personal course. I would so say that's a that part for, of his look. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, so you yeah, can actually it. use yours. Yeah,
0: I could actually <laughs> use mine for my benefit, whereas... It's just part of his. Life. Whereas, although I am imagining by the time we get around to old Gideon, we
5: will be <laughs> giving him some alcohol. Probably. <laughs> a very, uh,
1: a very well put together... Very difficult to break into safe.
0: Ooh, I like that. Uh, Gideon or Angel, what do you think that the good old Marshal uh, has in his personal
2: quarter? That's Marshal Jefferson Stockley to you, son.
1: Do we have to use your entire name?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think he has a small journal left behind by the previous Marshal that actually details mm-hmm. the events of the previous night oh david's trying to cheat the system already <laughs> no but it's weird is that the more you read it the harder it gets to read you can't quite explain it interesting
0: okay
1: i like, I, I like that, that a lot maybe
2: i can you. ask del sol to decrypt
0: some of it for me maybe i forgot about del sol i totally forgot how, oh no how dare you forget about my <laughs> man del sol um how about uh, Angel? What do you think the marshal has? It's a very good question. Anything, anything your mind desires or, or thinks or knows?
4: The only thing that came to my mind was a badge. But isn't that a given? Oh,
0: well, I think that's a given, but that makes it something <clears> that <throat> can be leveraged in a situation. I could leverage that in some kind of role where I have to persuade someone. hmm Yeah. Or I don't know, so, stab somebody with it. I don't care. It's, it's a little... It's or stab someone with it. It's a sheriff's badge. I can't use my revolver, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can use your revolver, but you... No, I can't. It's marked. That's the previous marshal's revolver.
4: But none of us gave him a revolver. Do you see anything that, well, that, doesn't mean you that don't gives have me one. something to shoot
0: You can't with? use it for advantage. You're a marshal. You're telling me you don't have a gun? I have a shoulder holster. <laughs> but no, what do you put in the holster? The, the old ro- re- revolver that oh. I can't use. So it's like uh, Andy from Toy Story. So it's like, uh, so it's like uh, Woody from Toy Story situation where it's just an empty holster. Interesting. Okay. I actually kind of like that the sheriff doesn't shoot a gun. That could be. Oh, funny. no, he shoots a gun. He just doesn't carry it on. him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sure. All right. Uh, so then, yeah. Do you want to you say a sheriff's badge? Is that what you're going to go for? Cool. I use it as a throwing star. <laughs> I hope you do. I hope that is how you end up using it. That would be bad. Dude, if I don't kill some <laughs> like like criminal drifter in this game with a sheriff's star to the forehead, I'm going to be real disappointed <laughs> in myself.
1: That's the game that he is playing for himself.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Um, <clears throat> next, let's talk. Dwelling and personal quarters for, I believe Gideon is next up then.
2: All right. So the lost dwelling, I think you're going to like this. Yeah, hit me. Someone with more faith than you currently houses you as their form of offering to the church. Ooh. How do they make you feel like an imposter in small ways every day? (laughs) I love that. And of course, why do you suspect they get a small measure of pleasure from making you feel like an imposter? They're just sagosh-danged
3: nice all the time. Mm. While as
2: for Gideon has to fight back the sarcastic response that comes more readily to any given situation, they immediately respond with kindness, gentility, piousness, wisdom. So they're always one holy step ahead of him. And affair fair drives him crazy.
0: I mean, and how good it must feel to be more pious than the Reverend.
2: Oh, how good indeed. You can see the spring in her step, the smile on her cheeks every time she does it.
0: Cool. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll save that as a potential NPC in my back pocket. That could be fun.
1: <clears throat> does she have a name?
0: Not yet, especially since I might assign that role to a, a character from a, oh. a
3: mystery or something. And I sure as
0: fuck ain't gonna name her. <clears throat> but she exists, and we know that now. Uh, so then, let's, let's figure out, what does the... We, we go by Reverend Gideon, right? Brother,
2: and, we don't do that in our denomination.
0: That's right. We've got Brother, brother Gideon. Um, what does Brother Gideon have in his personal quarters? I could also kick off if folks want me to.
3: You
1: start this time. Did you give one to...
0: I did. I gave him the tin of... Uh, beard oil. Uh, beard and mustache oil.
5: Um, I think... I think Brother Gideon has a, a
0: card of certified ordination from the Southern Baptists.
5: There you go.
4: I think Brother Gideon has a keyring of religious symbols. A The Mummy.
2: Like like Benny from The Mummy?
4: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that could be fun. I like that.
4: I love that.
5: Gideon, Lorelai, what do you think? Jefferson. Sorry. Marshal Jefferson <laughs> Stockley to you, son. Marshal Jefferson <laughs> Stockley. Lorelai, what do you think?
1: I think Gideon has... He has a Bible that is in a translation that he can read, but he's never come across a translation anything like it.
5: So, an unknown biblical translation. Ooh.
1: Ooh. And like some of the uh, some of the passages don't really line up, and it kind of seems like they've inserted some stuff here, taken uh, some other stuff out. The Book of John is just. Different. Just different.
5: <laughs> it's not even John, it's just the book of Mark again.
1: <laughs> That's what you think. And then you keep reading.
2: Mark II electric Oh <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Mark II fully armed and operational. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Mark II first t- this time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> I like the implication there that the first
5: time it wasn't. (laughs) Yes, I love that.
0: So, what do you think that Gideon has? I don't know, like a cat.
5: (laughs) Wow. You're
4: going to give Gideon a cat? You're going to give Gideon a
1: cat?
5: Yes, I am. Your sister-in-law is upset. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Maybe spice it up. It's a cat that, for some reason, prefers Gideon over everyone else in the in the, uh, in the kindly oh, no. lady's house.
0: No, no. I think that it's the kindly lady's cat, but it likes you more. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and this is definitely an indoor-outdoor cat situation. Like, this cat could be anywhere in town at any given time.
1: To say that this is really anyone's cat, like, anyone's cat, yeah. is probably inaccurate because it's one of those situations where it's like it's, it takes a town to keep a cat well fed.
0: But it
5: likes you the most. But it likes you the most. Yeah, love that.
4: Sometimes it brings you gifts.
3: It has claimed Gideon
4: as its human. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Is Gideon a cat person?
0: It
5: brings you the dead birds and mice. (laughs) The cat doesn't care. It's not that I don't like cats. It's just dogs are so much more personable. Uh, and
2: the damn things in my lap again. <laughs> Giddy in real life over here. Uh, okay, so
0: Lorelai. Oh, no, sorry, we skipped Angel. Let's go to Angel and her dwelling, and then personal quarters. Let's do that. Uh, so let's do dwelling first. What you what you got over there with the 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 bar and tavern sort of situation?
4: Well, my dwelling is pretty straightforward. As previously indicated, I live where I work, just upstairs from the bar. Name of the bar? Golden. Sun Cup. Sun Cup. I was trying to scroll back up. (laughs) The Golden Sun Sun Cup. Cup. Golden Sun Cup. We got to make a Golden Sun
0: Cup. Uh, Is there any uh, question that you have to answer about it or is it covered by the other stuff we already talked about?
4: Uh, What single object do you still have from your turbulent past? What evidence of your new higher station is visible in your room above the saloon? Those are very good questions. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) That do have answers.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I have so thought this through and totally noticed those questions before this very moment. (laughs) I foresee no
1: consequences.
4: <laughs> All right. The evidence of the higher station is the deed to the saloon. Hmm. Oh, yeah.
0: I like that. It's like you are a landowner. Yeah. Like you you don't just rent this place from someone else. You own this plot. You own this place. You built it. I love that.
4: That's great. Uh, and the item from my turbulent past. A broken pocket watch. Hmm. Not yours originally, I'm assuming. Uh, that will have to come out during uh, play or, sh- or not. We'll see. We'll, we'll find out. All right, cool. As, as I just made this up at the moment, I have no idea <laughs> the answer. <laughs> well,
0: that's the great thing. The answer can be whatever it turns out to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Um, all right. Especially so- in this game. For our beloved bar owner of the Golden Sun Cup, what do we think that Angel has in her personal quarters?
5: Um, I can start off again. I think... I think you have some top-shelf imported
0: wine from France. Something real nice, real special that... I don't think you even, like, keep down in the bar. Um, It's, like, something you... You keep around for a
5: special occasion. It's not shown to people.
2: I got something I can give give her for a dwelling. Go for it. All right. Uh, Behind the bar, uh, on a little plaque, is its own special resting spot. A very exquisitely made, intricately detailed, uh, double-barrel breech-loading shotgun called Old Reliable. now I have
0: to come up with a new one.
2: (laughs) The breach is, of course, sealed completely shut and can't be broken open. Is it loaded? Will it fire?
3: Don't know.
1: Yeah, David stole mine, too, Pat. Don't feel bad.
3: Oh. You should have put the moves
5: on sooner, boy. Hmm.
1: Angel has a bookshelf of books. It's sort of a tradition in the town to come in, leave a book, take a book. So it changes out pretty regularly. That's right. I'm going to give all of us resources and information, damn it.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Surely you're not making these choices based off of experience.
0: (laughs) And strategery.
1: Also playing with you and knowing what you like. Yeah, it was appreciated.
5: <laughs> <laughs> what you got, Pat? You got a face over there.
2: I don't know, like a dog. <laughs> God damn it. <sighs> All right. Pat's giving everyone animals. This is now a menagerie. Oh, you no.
1: understand how upset I'm going to be if you get to me and you don't give me an animal, right?
0: <laughs> Dave, Dave, you don't understand. That's been my plan the whole time. <laughs> Me saying that you stole the shotgun idea with subterfuge.
3: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> In all fairness, though, originally I was going to give a shotgun to, to Gwen because she's the tavern keep, but then I thought that uh, it'd be funny if I just came up with something off the fly and you went, went, well, I went first, but you were the first person I could give a thing to. And I'm all like, fuck it. What's something I can give a preacher? I don't know, like a cat, give him something to look after. And then I'm all like, this is the meme. This is the meme now.
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: I also do like that giving uh, our barkeep a shotgun is a callback to our Apocalypse World game. Yeah. Like our barkeep too. had a shotgun. Yeah. So it's fun. Callbacks are fun. But uh, I'm sticking
2: with the dog. Gwen, you get a dog. Congratulations. I don't know how you're going to take care of it. What kind of have- dog? Is it a mangy cur? Is it a show dog? A little toy? Guys, it's,
1: it's name is Spot.
2: The dog's name is Spot. The dog's name is Spot.
0: Of
1: course the dog's name is Spot.
0: Please. Oh. Please. Callbacks upon callbacks. <laughs> okay. So it's like a local dog that uh, Angel happens to take care of. And- is, I would, I would assume, highly defensive of her. Give scraps from the tavern. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, so that covers Angel's personal quarters. Um, let's move on to Lorelai. Hello. Let's first talk about your dwelling, and then we'll talk personal quarters.
1: Okay. Um, to remind everybody, uh, my character's name is Lorelai Chambers. Uh, I'm playing the inevitable playbook. Uh, I am death trapped in the body of a mortal person dwelling you find yourself in your host's house what gives away their last name how do you know what they do for a living what do you find that dismays you so i'm i'm going to assume cuz they're like you don't have a first name and i'm like no i definitely have a first name so i'm i'm going with with Lorelei chambers we're going to assume that i found that somewhere in the house mm-hmm. i think uh I think that they're a teacher. Or they they were a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the I guess this is a thing we can determine at a point that is not now. But and I guess maybe it's a question that I have to answer. But one I was just thinking about is like, what's the what's the relation of the town to the the lady who used to be a school teacher from a from a family in town and is now kinda weird and keeps her distance.
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, that'll have to come out and play, I assume.
1: Yeah. How do you know what they do for a living? Uh, the house that she lives in used to be like the one room schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. But when when the first Winded Night came about, about then, kids kind of stopped going to school.
3: Mm.
1: Um, And we haven't really gotten back to anything about that, especially since the one building in town now also houses a weird lady who keeps her distance. Miss Lorelai has never been the same since.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, what dismays you?
1: I mean, other than knowing that this must be a schoolhouse and that nobody ever comes here. Uh,
0: I mean, does that, dis- does that dismay Lorelei?
1: I don't know. Probably not. I mean, yes, but I mean, there's a lot of things that are going to dismay her because she's obviously in the body of a mortal who had a life yeah before she was she was a person here
3: mm-hmm.
1: um for her specifically i think that there are several tins of opium
5: oh okay what <laughs> yeah wow like in the pantry
1: pushed far to the back behind like cans of soup and like pasta or miscellaneous
0: school supplies yeah
1: miscellaneous school supplies that are left over uh there's like three or four tins of opium not big just like little almost like pillbox sized Mm -hmm.
5: so let's talk about what is in
0: your personal quarters yeah um i can kick off um I think you have a set of oracle bones that was made from the first human life that you took to the underworld.
1: Interesting. We're going real interesting right uh, off. Your death
0: incarnate. You're gonna have some weird shit, in my opinion.
1: Okay. So so first person to die or first person I took to the underworld because this
0: I don't know if those are one and the same. I think they are one and the same. I think you are death for all times. Yeah, that's kind of what I was figuring. So if that's the case, then yeah, like the first person, like the first human,
4: first human death, Oracle Bones, Oracle Bones. Yes. Marshall, do you mind if I assign Lorelei's animal? (laughs) Oh, no, I already have one in mind.
3: Well, now I'm curious, and it's
4: good. Then you go. Well, first
3: off,
2: nothing's stopping us from having two.
3: That's true. (laughs) true. (laughs) True. You
1: you didn't moon me over here, bitches.
2: Well, well, here, let's finish strong, and I'll give my decidedly not animal thing, all right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have a medium size. Very ornate. You have a medium-sized dog.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. Jesus Christ. Medium-sized.
2: This hourglass is roughly the size of a small, medium-sized dog. Um,
1: <laughs> a you know, small, medium-sized
2: dog. <laughs> yeah, you know, because within the... Within, there, there's it's spectrum. Yeah, I know. spectrum well, all the way down. isn't, descri- isn't a size. The, the small dog is a medium. <sighs> <Nah. laughs> and he's at large. We've all heard the joke before. But um am ch- all right, but uh, you, you have a, a, a moderately ornate, medium-sized hourglass. You cannot turn it over. You don't know when it started, and you don't know
5: what it's okay. for. I like that.
4: You in assigning shit that people can't fucking use. <laughs> Hell
5: yeah. Well,
4: you just have
0: to... Working it in is, a, is the game in and of itself, I guess.
1: All right. Dave's just assigning us opportunities to get oh, bonus points. Oh, because one thing I
0: will say uh, before we finish this up, um, like these are these are all meant to be sort of high level descriptions of this object. You can like add any details you want to bring it in when the time comes. Right? Um, how how you apply these items can be very flexible. Right? So bear that in mind. Anyway, uh, I think we have potentially two animals on the on the list. <laughs>
4: How about we let the marshal okay. go first because he might have in mind the same thing I do.
5: I don't know. Like a lizard. <laughs> How big a lizard are we talking? <laughs> are we talking
0: like Pascal from Tangled sized? Please no. Please
1: give me Pascal from Tangled. I want Pascal from
3: Tangled. No. So
0: even better. It's, it's L- Lizzie ago. from the Magic School Bus. Oh, oh She's a okay. school teacher. You're right. You're gonna tell me Miss Frizzle wasn't Death Incarnate,
1: and I gave her <laughs> opium.
0: Yep, you did. <laughs> You're gonna tell me Miss Frizzle wasn't Death Incarnate? No, that's fair.
1: That's, that's a fair. really good point. All right, yeah. So, like, uh, so that would be like a um, shit. What are they called?
0: It was a green horn lizard, wasn't wasn't she? Possibly. We'll look it up later.
1: Bearded dragon is what I was thinking.
0: Bearded dragons no, are big. Those are they're huge. not that big. They're kind of big. Well, they're not, like, big, big, but Bearded Dragons can get, like...
1: <laughs> Most Bearded Dragons, eight, I see eight are, eight like, inches. that big.
2: Bearded Dragons can be long boys, but they're not, like, huge. you saying Liz actually looked
0: like she was a chameleon, but never changed color.
1: Okay, well, then let's make her a chameleon.
0: I do like a chameleon.
1: Since I wanted, uh...
0: <laughs> since between. I wanted Pascal
1: from Tangled, anyway. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. What were you thinking, Lizard?
4: Gwen? she was thinking god <laughs> no okay, good. she wait, was wait. thinking bird death in car death incarnate of course i was thinking raven yeah there it is but
0: bird was my second but, choice that's but, so raven <laughs> get the fuck out of here <laughs> thank you dave good night that's a wrap on dave everyone You're fired. <laughs> uh oh, what do you what are you thinking Gwen?
1: so i'll take a raven if you want to give me one
4: <laughs> instead of two animals I'll, I'll give you something a little more interesting and potentially more powerful. Okay. Ooh. Uh, you have a sealed box. It's a key lock box that's currently sealed.
5: Is it Pandora's box?
4: You currently can't open it. Okay. But there's something inside it. Okay. Maybe. There's something inside it? Maybe. Is it like ornate? uh semi ornate okay some of the ornation are onyx tips oh cool looks very 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 old
2: yes okay what's the subscription on the back to pandora best wishes <laughs> <It's> weird <laughs> crazy
4: <laughs> for the fairest if only someone could translate those words <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's probably in the old Marshall's
0: journal i hope yeah. so <laughs> All right. Well, so in in the hopes of not making the setup drag forever, um, How about five ever.
4: What? We'll 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 this, cut our. This is fun. <laughs> Who needs the game? We can just, just do. Let's
1: just make up weird magic items. All five. right, we got, we got another
0: couple of playbooks we didn't cover. Let's just make up. So make up a gunslinger. Make up- <laughs> Fine, David. We'll settle three ever. Okay. Well, I think we're already approaching three ever. So. So, uh, that's our, those are characters. This is our setup for the between. Uh, and we will see you all in a couple of weeks when, uh, when the gameplay, the game actually comes out. Except for us. We'll see each other now. (laughs) We will see each other now.
4: Okay. bye. Okay,
3: bye. Bye Bye. Bye. Bye.